Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. My name is Jessica. I am your host, and it is so good to be with you today. We are in a series called The Meaning Behind the Magic, and this is week three. And actually, you're thinking, what happened to week two? Well, week two was a family service called Jingle Jam, and that just doesn't really work on podcasts. So you should go to CrossroadsColorado.com and find that service on demand. It was a total, total blast. Now, there is a lot included in today's show notes. And actually, every single week, there are lots of links in the show notes. So once you come to a stop in your car or you're back from your run or your walk, go ahead over there. You'll be able to access things like the Connect card, which is an easy way for you to drop your name, your email, and say, hey, I've been listening to the podcast, and I would love to say hello. You'll also access a link to the feed e-newsletter, and that's where you're going to access a lot of information. And you'll also find things like the weekly show notes and links of different ways to give. And we are ending this year strong, and we invite you to participate in where we are heading in 2022. You may want to look around the website and learn more about Adventure is Worth It. You can participate and be part of our network, whether you live in Northern Colorado or somewhere else in the world. The internet, podcasting, all these things make our community smaller and we love to be here with you. Well, Ryan is going to teach on the meaning behind the magic week three. We're also going to light an advent candle at the end. And so I invite you at your house to also go grab a candle. And when you get to that point in this message, you can even press pause, take some moments of silence to light the candle, set your intentions in what we talk about today. And Ryan will send you out with the blessing at the end. Well, have a great week, friends. And hopefully we will see you at one of our Christmas Eve services. Or I hope you are able to tune in online. Or, of course, I will share that message with you after the fact. Here's Ryan. All right. Good morning. morning. How is everybody doing? Awesome. A lot of excitement in the room today. Scares me a little bit. Y'all are usually a little quieter. I think I might like that better. Hey, listen, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. It's great to see everyone today. I want to thank those of you that are tuning in online. If you're on the atrium or out on the east patio, the sun is shining here in northern Colorado. And I know we've got folks tuning in literally from all over the world. So thank you very much, whatever time zone you're in, for uh, being present with us today. Hey, inside of your program is a little something that looks like this. It says pledge card on it. Do me a favor, pull that out and wave at me. If you'll just wave it at me, that'll get you one year out of purgatory. Just waving it. That's all you got to do is just wave it at me and one year out of purgatory. Isn't that amazing? What a good deal you get today. 
I don't believe in purgatory. I'm just kidding around. So listen, uh, we're in our season where we're introducing the 2022 uh, Worth It Ministry Initiative. And inside the program is the pledge card because we're kind of entering pledge season. January is really a a month where we're going to be encouraging everybody to fill out a pledge card. And you'll notice on the back, there's three areas that we pledge, we commit ourselves to, and that is our time, talent, and treasure towards what we believe God is kind of inspiring us into in this next year. Uh, And this is an important part of us really being effective in our ministry and in our work towards our 10-year peacemaking vision. And so I want to encourage you as a family to be considering your involvement. Uh, We've been having brochures inside the programs for the last three weeks. If you haven't seen the brochure all about the Worth It campaign, I kind of introed it a few weeks back. Those brochures are on the tables on your way out, and you can visit the website if you're tuning in online to see all the great stuff we believe God is calling us into as a church. And the way we get there is by all of us participating. And so I I want to encourage you to, as a family, be thinking about that. And really what kicks us off is just kind of a giving moment here at the end of the year. So we have the Christmas Eve offering and we have year-end giving. And this is really where we launch ourselves financially into a healthy space as a church. And so I hope that you and your family will give a little bit extra uh, at the Christmas Eve service offerings, maybe your year-end giving, and launch us into the Worth It uh, ministry year in a big way. It's such a huge part for our church to stay healthy. And then over January, we're going to be talking about some really wonderful, fun, exciting, adventurous activities that we're going to participate in. In 2022, I'm very excited just about a lot of things kind of revitalizing and coming back and being in, in place. I'm looking forward to groups and classes being around, hopefully, in new ways and inventive ways. I'm looking forward to the idea of trips happening. I'm looking forward to all kinds of stuff. And uh, we're excited about the Early Adventure Center and a, a new uh, children's program elementary program director we want to bring on board to organize us and empower us into effective work with kids in the elementary age. We're excited to kind of be past the pre-planning phase of the early learning center, the early adventure center. Because of the 2021 ministry emphasis, we were able to hire Jamie and she's been doing all that pre-planning work and that center is going to open up next year. We're excited about lots of great work that's going to take place, all right? But it takes all of us. So do me a favor, be praying about that. You can always turn, you can start turning in your pledge card in the offer or online right now, but we're just going to kind of be turning in those cards and be celebrating uh, what we're committing to here in January. All right, are you with me? Thank you. I want to thank all 27 of you. It's so (laughs) wonderful. No, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, it's going to be good. Hey, listen, grab your talk notes. We're on week three of our series, The Meaning Behind the Magic. I have some big audacious goals to get through today. What time's the game? Two. That's good. That's good for everybody. We got plenty of time. That's good. No, listen, our anchor verse for this series is found in Luke chapter two, verse 18 through 19. And in that anchor verse, it says that everyone who listened was astonished at what the shepherds told them. But Mary took all this in and reflected on it. And that's really what this series is about. It's taking these Christmas stories that we've been given that many of us have heard over and over and over again that are honestly just filled with magical moments, filled with stars that move and stop, virgins that give birth, filled with the night sky being filled with angels. So we're looking at these stories and asking, what do they mean? What's the meaning behind the magic? Because we live in a world sometimes where we can get caught up on the magic and we can argue about whether it actually happened that way or didn't happen that way. And if you don't believe the way I believe, then we get all angry and frustrated. And I'm saying, let's take a breath. 
Some people, we take these, verse, these, these stories very literally, and some Christians don't take them literally. They take them very metaphorically. But can we come to an agreement on what they mean and what they call us into as people, all right? How many of you have ever heard of Ancestry.com? Raise your hand up nice and high. How many, and, and maybe even, anybody ever done Ancestry.com? Like checked out your background? I've been watching, uh, like we do a lot of streaming stuff, and it seems like every commercial these days is for Ancestry.com is the perfect Christmas gift. That does not seem like, that. don't get me Ancestry.com. I'm just not that interested in my past, okay? But it seems like this is the gift to get everybody. Uh, and we're always kind of interested in, in, in some people more than others, very interested in our past, in our heritage. And we think of ancestry and heritage and people in our world in terms of DNA these days, right? We look at DNA, we get our tests, we know this, that, and we can find out all kinds of amazing stuff. How much percentage of our blood is you know, this ethnicity or that ethnicity or what culture did we come from or, or when did, we're all immigrants here for the most part, when did we immigrate into America? Like all these different things, right? But here's what's fascinating about Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com cannot answer the big questions of why. It can't answer the big questions as to why some people seem to have greater impact in this world on all of humanity than others. Like you can get your Ancestry.com report, it can give you a lot of the who, it can give you a lot of the what, but it doesn't give you the why. Why are some people just seemingly destined to have a great impact? Why? What made Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs? Like every person just about in our world is impacted by kind of the brain, the mind, the life of, of a guy like Steve Jobs or certain people. Why is that? Well, for the ancients, for our spiritual ancestors, right? Ancient Greeks and Romans in the Christian world, right? In the pre-enlightenment understanding, I tell you, you know how they thought about it? They said, well, this is very simple, we know that the gods interact with the humans, so really like existential human beings, like people that bring all kinds of benefit to humanity, they must have some divine blood in them. There must have just been divinity around. And here's why they could think that, because in the ancient world, conception was quite a mysterious affair, <laughs> right? Like the idea of conception where babies come from, this whole conversation, right? And, and our spiritual ancestors at the time of the ancient Romans and Greeks, I mean, you're about two millennia away from understanding sperm and egg. Like the microscopic realities, right? Jim's like, did he just say that in church? I mean, he's rubbing his forehead already. Fortunately, Jim's not on the council. He just, he rotate off, so I don't have to hear about that one, right? He just gave a good forehead rub. You just gotta see what I see up here. <laughs> But like that was not part of the conversation in antiquity, right? You weren't sending your kids to school. Public education did not exist. There was no health class, right? There was mystery around it. And so divine intervention and involvement, right, in the conception of very, very extraordinary human beings was, was, was just a part of life. It was how it happened. It's how our ancient like, ancestors, how they made sense of the world, now, here's the thing. As modern people, post-enlightenment brain, we can like, disregard that explanation if we want to. Like, we can say, come on, we know that's not true. We know that gods don't come down and hang out with humans, gods or goddesses. We know that. But we should probably admit that we don't have a better answer. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm totally with you. I get it. But we should at least admit that we really don't have a better answer as to why some people have such extraordinary impact that they seem to be kind of like out of this world in their way of existing or thinking or values, whatever it might be. And that brings me to the big question I want to talk about today is why a virgin? Like, what's up with that? Right? 
this, this whole Christmas story, what we celebrate, songs are sung, and it seems such an important part of the story, but why a virgin birth? Why that magic? Why that part of the story? What was so important? And I want to do that by looking at Luke's conception stories. So the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter one, we get these two stories of, of conceptions that involve divine interaction, right? We have the conception story about John the Baptist and about Jesus. And so I want to do something pretty audacious for me. I want to go through an entire chapter of the Bible together today. Ross, how do you feel about that? He gave me a thumbs up, everybody. So you're good. It's his his fault, all right, if you're here. So all that means is we're going to go fast. And I generally don't like to presume stories upon people or any kind of understanding of the Bible. So the big picture here, to just give it to you, is we have these two stories about John the Baptist and Jesus. Both have angelic messages around them. Both are very important figures in the Christmas story and in the life of uh, Jesus, right? John the Baptist is his cousin, and Jesus is John's cousin. That's how it works. They're both cousins, all right? I don't know if you knew that or not. If you're somebody's cousin, they're your cousin too, all right? So I'm going to kind of go through these stories quickly, but the first thing I want you to know is Luke starts with this divine intervention surrounding John's conception. So he starts with John. Now, we don't have this in Matthew. It's not in John. There's, it's just in Luke. Only Luke tells us this story, okay? Here's what it says. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. All right, so we have Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. There's about 18,000 priests right now uh, at this time serving in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem temple, and they would rotate. They would have other jobs, but they would have their time of service. And it says that both of them were righteous in the eyes of God, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They observed all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blamelessly. Now, what's so powerful about this is Luke is balancing the patriarchy of his day. It's so beautiful. We talked about one of Luke's major emphasis is to to elevate women, right? To bring women into the story, to bring women into the picture. And so Luke is doing this. He's elevating. Both of them are blameless in God's eyes, right? Both of them follow all the ordinances, but still they had no child. And what Luke wants his audience to know in this story is that oftentimes people would think in the ancient world, if you didn't have children, then you were somehow under some curse. But that wasn't, Luke is saying, that's not the case. These were righteous people. But for whatever reason, they didn't have a child. And Elizabeth was barren and both of them were advanced in years. Now, all of a sudden, if you're in the ancient world, if you're an Israelite, your ears start to buzz because the kind of barren woman, promised child, divine intervention was a central plot line in the, in the salvation history of Israel, right? So we have these beautiful stories of like Sarah and Abraham who were given the promised child of Isaac. A great nation would flow from Isaac, this promised child. We have stories like Hannah and Elkanah who Hannah couldn't have a child and she would go and pray every year and then eventually she conceived and gave birth to Samuel, a very important figure in the nation of Israel. And so like if you're Luke's audience, you're hearing this and you're going, this is how God has always worked. This is a part of our story Right? And so Luke's writing this. Everybody's heard of John the Baptist. They go, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. And now here's what it says. One time when Zechariah was serving as priest in his divisions turned before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. Now this was a huge deal. 
right? We don't realize it, but this was a big, big deal. To be chosen to go and burn incense in the sanctuary uh, was, was a massive, massive, like wonderful thing to have happen. In fact, you would do this once and then it would have to rotate before you would ever be allowed to do it again. So they would rotate through. So this was a huge honor to get to do. So it says that the whole assembly of the people, they were praying outside and they were waiting and it was the time for the incense offering to take place. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. So this is like a place of prominence and priority. So he's in there, he's burning the incense and then an angel appears. Very similar to Abraham. Abraham has a vision, appearance of the Lord, not uncommon, right? When Abraham hears the story of a promised child. So now Zechariah, it says he was troubled by what he saw. How many of y'all be a little troubled if an angel showed up? I would be bothered. <laughs> I'm really happy for the Bible. Some people are like, oh, the Bible. I'm like, no, I really enjoy it when God speaks to me through the Bible. I feel like it's much safer than an angel showing up, right? So I don't ever complain about it, right? So here's the deal. This angel shows up, he's afraid, and the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Not only his prayer that he would have prayed for the community, for salvation, for what he was doing there in the, uh, at the altar burning incense, but also his personal prayer. It says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his womb, from the mother's, his mother's womb. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers towards children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare a people fit for the Lord. So here's the promise, right? This child that you are going to have, that Elizabeth is going to give to the world, is going to be a blessing to all of the world, to the nation of Israel. It's going to turn people back into the very heart of God. And so this promise sounds so familiar to like the promises that were given to Abraham around his promised child, right? That you're going to have a son and his name is going to be Isaac and, 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 and I'm going to bless him and, and all these wonderful things are going to happen. So Zechariah says to the angel, this great man of faith, hmm, how can I trust you? Like, that's what he's saying here. How shall I know this, right? Like, that's like us saying, get real. Like, I don't think so. I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Now, the objection is a huge part of these stories as well. Abraham gives an objection also. So this is all part of like a way you would tell a really good story. And the angel says to him in a reply, Gabriel's not too thrilled by the response, by the way. He's like, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. Like, it's a kind of a funny conversation when you think about it, right? Like, can we just, just for a moment be a little irreligious? Just one moment, okay? How many of you think you'd have the chutzpah if an angel shows up, starts to tell you what to do, and you'd be like, come on. No. <laughs> I think I would just take his word for it and doubt later when I'm not in the presence of something I can't understand. I'd be like, sounds great. <laughs> See you next year, right? And then I'd walk out, and either I wouldn't believe it, or I'd be like, Ebenezer Spruce, it's a bit of bad beef or something, I don't know. But I don't think I'm going to argue right there to his face, right? 
But this is part of how the story is told because it brings us in because we get more and more of what's happening here. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. I was, spent to, I was sent to speak to you and I was supposed to announce to you this good news, but now you'll be speechless. You'll be speechless because you uh, didn't believe me. You didn't believe what I said was going to happen to you until the proper time. And so meanwhile, all the people are waiting for Zechariah outside. And they're amazed that he was in there for so long. It's like your family members that don't go to church are like, how can you go to that church for so long, right? It says, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, just like the angel said. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. And so he was gesturing to them, trying to tell them everything that had happened. And he said, I can't believe this is going. He's just giving them all this. I got to let you know what's going on. And so he stayed there until the days of his ministry were completed, and then he went home. I love it. Like, he just has this experience. He can't talk, and he's still got to stay at work for a few days. <laughs> he's like, can I go home? Nope. You got to finish out your shift. <laughs> so he stays at work, then he goes home. It says, after this time, his wife, Elizabeth, she became pregnant, and she went into seclusion for five months, saying, so has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit to take away my disgrace before others, right, in this moment. So this is the first conception story. So just hang on to that for a moment, right? It would have made perfect sense to the hearers. They're listening to it. They're going, we've got this. Like, this is how, you know, we got these kind of great birth stories where God intervenes. Like, we've got this for Isaac. We've got it for people like Samuel, uh, people like Samson. Like, we understand this. This makes perfect sense. This is how God works. And now Luke goes on to tell the story of Jesus' conception after John. So now we get into this next story, and it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee near called Nazareth. And he went to a virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So right away, Mary is not simply a barren woman. She's not simply a woman of older age who can't have children anymore. It's not simply a child that there's divine intervention saying, here's what's going to be special and important about this child, but she is a virgin. So the storyline starts to depart. And it would be quite, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unusual, by the way, to be betrothed in these days and to not be a virgin, right? For that, that marriage, it's the kind of the first part of marriage, quite honestly. So it wasn't like it's a very strange thing, and Luke is very clear on this, and Matthew is as well. So Matthew's gospel also agrees on this. So basically, scholarship tells us that Matthew and Luke wrote their gospels separate from one another. They didn't know each other. They didn't know each other's work. And so they're handed traditions, and they take those traditions, and they shape them theologically. And so there's a very early tradition here that Mary was a virgin, both were, and this was given to both Matthew and Luke, but they both do something very different with this little bit of information. So Matthew uses the bit of information to kind of give Joseph an opportunity to try and divorce Mary, and then the angel comes, remember, and says, don't divorce her. We're going to actually talk about that in a, little, in a week. But this idea that what, what Matthew is saying is, listen, this is Moses, and he's bringing back stories of Moses where Moses' father uh, disobeyed, like said, we're not going to divorce our wives. We're going to continue to have children. And so he's using the story in a unique way, and Luke is using it in a unique way. Luke is telling this story. Luke doesn't have Joseph receive the message about the child. Mary receives the message. 
And Marius presumably hears it and then presumably just goes and tells Joseph and he's fine with it. He's like, cool, right? I mean, we don't hear anything about Joseph and Luke. We don't know what's going on there. And it just begs the question, why a virgin? Why not just divine intervention? It would be normal, right? Why is that? It was, it was normal for all these birth stories around Romans and Greeks and, 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 and Hebrews that, that have deep impact. Why is that? In fact, like Julius Caesar, right? He was said to come from the Julian dynasty who traced their heritage all the way back to this like divine birth of Aeneas in the great like, epic poem, the Aeneid. Like, so this is so common, but what you don't ever see anywhere is this idea of a virgin. Why is it? It would be completely different, completely new. Well, let's go on and see what it says. So the angel comes and says to her, highly favored one, literally the word is grace, like highly graced one, hail graced one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. So the angel says to her, oh, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found grace. That word favor is grace with God. And what the angel's getting ready to convey to Mary is you now have an opportunity. Grace is bringing you an opportunity. And it's an opportunity like no one has ever had in this world and that no one will ever have in this world. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, this word Joshua, one who saves. You'll name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Of his kingdom there will be no end. It will never stop. And and then Mary says to the angel a similar question, but in a totally different way than Zechariah says, well, how can this be? How can this be since I have no relations with a man? Like, how is this going to happen? And again, this is another point in the story where Luke wants us to know, without any certain terms, Mary is a virgin. Why? 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 So the angel says to her in reply, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. And he says, check this out. In case you don't think it can happen, Elizabeth, right, your relative, she's also conceived a son in her old age and is now in her sixth month. And she was once called barren for nothing will be impossible for God. So the angel Gabriel and Luke, the writer, he takes these two stories and he connects them together. And he says, there's something about what has happened to Elizabeth and what is going to happen to you that are connected these miraculous conceptions are about a bigger idea of what God is doing in the world. And so Mary gives this beautiful response. She says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we have these two conception stories. They're put right back to back in Luke. Luke wants us to know right away there's something powerful that's happening in John, and there's something equally, if not more powerful, that's happening in Jesus. But Mary's divine conception story differs and is greater than all others. All of the Jewish stories, all of the Roman stories, there's never been a story about a virgin giving birth. And so here's the thing. What Luke is doing in the virgin birth, the earliest of Christians, they were making a pretty audacious claim. They were saying that the new covenant, the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. 
that John will close out a way in which God worked in this world and Jesus will usher in a new one. You see, John is conceived under the old covenant, under the old paradigm, but Jesus is conceived under a new paradigm, a fresh paradigm, one that has never existed before. So why a virgin? Because what God is doing has never been done ever, ever, ever. There's a close. Oh, yeah, divine intervention, babies being born, promised ones, absolutely. That's coming to a completion. Now Jesus is ushering in something brand new. And Jesus actually talked about this in Luke chapter 7. Jesus talked about John, and he said, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So John is sent, and the angelic message is, John is going to prepare a people. John is going to prepare this people for what God wants to do. He's going to turn hearts back towards one another, towards the righteousness of God. But the angel comes to Mary and says, no, 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 there's a kingdom that's starting with this one. There's this kingdom that will know no end. And so whether these stories in antiquity were taken literally or metaphorically, the idea of divine conception, uh, divine intervention was just their way of asserting that this individual has a transcendental character to them, that this individual has extraordinary gifts for the human world. And so what the writers are telling us, what the earliest Christian community was saying to us is that this one, when you compare this one to all the others in the world, there's something greater here. And so the issue of the story, and we got to get this in our hearts, the issue of the story is not the biology of the mother. <laughs> that is not the point. It's the destiny of the child. That's the point of all of these birth stories, whether it's Caesar Augustus, whether it's Julius Caesar, or whether it's Jesus the Messiah. The issue is not the biology of the mother. The issue is the destiny of the child. And so the virgin birth makes a claim to the destiny of this child born, that this child is king of kings, and this child is lord of lords. And so when the earliest Christians made their claims of a virgin conception, when they made their claims of a virgin pregnancy, when they made their claims of the virgin birth, it was the exaltation of Jesus over and above all other stories over and above all others that are called son of God. And so in your everyday normal life, in my everyday normal life, is it that you and I have to, like lock, stock, and barrel, believe in the literal nature of all of these things if we're going to experience God? No, because there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful Christians that don't believe in these things literally, and there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful followers of Jesus that do. The question is, once we know the destiny, <laughs> once we know the claim that's being made, are we willing to commit our lives to it? Right? If Jesus is Lord of Lords, if Jesus is King of Kings, if Jesus is the Savior of the world, not Caesar, not the powers of this world, not the violence of this world, what will our response be to that? There's always a response that's required. As much as God loves and God pours out God's Spirit into our hearts and our lives and we're created in the image of God, there's always a response on our part that's required to unleash that in our lives. And the beauty of this story is that Mary offers us the perfect response. Here I am. Here I am. I'm a handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to her. What, what you want to do in my life, do. There's a surrender that takes place to all of that, to actualize, to realize what could be true. And so the question is, will you and I open our hearts? Will we live in obedience to this way of Jesus? 
Will we place Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords in our, light, in our lives? Will we hold that Jesus is the light of love in this world? Right? What is being offered to us is a choice. There's the way of peace on earth through divine justice, through personal sacrifice, through unconditional love, or there's the way of peace on earth through violence, oppression, and war. It's Jesus or Caesar. That's what the gospel writers were always trying to convey in the first century. And it's the same choice for us today. Where will we bow our knee? Will it be to our political parties? Will it be to our, uh, our friends' opinions of how this world should run? Will it be, or will it be to a way of Jesus? Will it be a way to return violence with love? Hatred with kindness. That's the way of the cross. That's what the manger teaches us. That's what these stories are all about. And there's something really powerful that happens at the end of this story, right? So we get at the end of this chapter, excuse me. So we have part one, John the Baptist conceived. Luke then connects it with Jesus, one greater coming. John finishing up something, bringing something to its fullness. Jesus ushering in something new. And then what does he do? He brings Mary and Elizabeth together. He brings them together, and Elizabeth welcomes Mary into her life. She welcomes this next generation. She welcomes this next thing. And the question is, will we generously welcome the new work of God? Will we do that? Because I believe this deeply, that God is always doing a new work, that Jesus is living, and Jesus is always doing new works in our lives, always calling us back to the manger always calling us to question things that we've held once as true. God is always working through us. And so in Luke chapter one, we have this beautiful culmination. It says, during those days, Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, most blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I love this. She says, and how does it happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's so overjoyed. She says, for at the moment, the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you, Mary, for you believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled, would be fulfilled. See, if we will generously welcome God's new work into our lives, if we'll recognize that the meaning behind the magic of the virgin birth is not the biology of the mother, but the destiny of the child, if we'll commit our lives to that destiny, you know what happens? We find the real path to peace on earth, the path that could actually bring it. Our lives can be filled with it. We find it and we walk in it and we bring wholeness all around us. We bring a space of inclusion. We bring a space of love. We bring a space of forgiveness. We bring a space of elevation of everyone. So we're going to light our Advent candles here this morning. And as we get ready to do that, as we prepare our hearts, we're, it, we're kind of lighting our candle around this theme of generously welcoming what God wants to do in our lives, just like Mary did to believe that the destiny of this child is King of kings and Lord of lords and that we can live in that destiny and that kingdom right now. And so as we're doing this, I just wonder, what is it that God might be inviting you into today? And I would just, I would just encourage you as you light the candle, hold that question, God, what do you have for me in this moment? What do you have for me? 
It could be something as simple as, hey, invite that neighbor to Christmas Eve service with you. Invite that. I love what, what John said in our pre-service. He just said, you know what? It's so many people, he hears the stories that Christmas Eve was the first time they walked into Crossroads Church. And they had a life-changing experience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being celebrated and being born. So maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's to believe and commit to what the virgin birth means. Maybe you've been this person who's kind of like driven by that enlightenment brain and the idea of a virgin giving birth has been hard for just a hard pill for you to swallow and so you feel like you've had to throw away it all and maybe God's whispering to you yeah but what does it mean what's the story what's Luke trying to tell you and maybe that can resonate with you and God's just saying can you make Jesus king of kings and lord of lords can you make Jesus the way the truth and the life for your own heart and your life to find that hope and that joy that sustains in the midst of the disappointments of this world. And I hope we're all sensing that if you're a part of Crossroads Church, at least, that God's inviting you to just be a part of the adventure is worth it. To just live into this, to recognize that, that our church has a valuable place in our community to bring hope and life and joy to talk about things like this and so to participate by volunteering and, and giving of your treasure and, and, and giving your time to grow as a peacemaker this year. So I want to invite our founding pastor, uh, John Smith, to come out. He's going to lead us in our Advent experience. Come on out, John. Thank you. Well, this is the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent and some of us are taking time every day during the week to to light a candle and to read a small devotional reading. And since this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, I wanted to read today's devotional reading for all of you. And I want to begin with a prayer, a short prayer. So if you would, bow your head with me. Radiant Creator, awaken me to your presence. Jesus, light of all lights, Kindle love in my heart. Spirit of illumination, guide my path today. Amen. The Advent reading today uh, begins with what was read earlier, uh, one of the verses, Luke 1:41, that says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb. Listen as I read this devotional reading for today. Do you have a friend or a relative who welcomes you unconditionally? Someone whose vibrant love for you makes your heart smile? For me, I think of my uh, Aunt Audrey, who's in her 90s now. My mother was the oldest of 10, and Aunt Audrey is the only living uh, sister. Uh, today and whenever I see her and we try to see her in California uh, often we haven't in the past year because of COVID but uh, I think Aunt Audrey and myself we have that kind of relationship and, but Mary and Elizabeth are another example uh, when we imagine Mary's visit to Elizabeth we see a young pregnant woman sacrificing for her for her friend or cousin Mary took a long journey for the sake of her older pregnant cousin, and the aging Elizabeth must have been overjoyed by the visit of the youthful Mary. They each generated joy by welcoming 
the Christ light in one another. Christmas is a perfect time to spark this this element of joy enthusiastically inside of all of us. And we can do it by welcoming people in our presence and by expressing how much we appreciate them welcoming us. And all we need is generosity of heart and enough humility to express our love. As Mary and Elizabeth show us, our inner person is a tabernacle of God's love. Our inner person is a tabernacle of God's love. While we don't carry the flesh and blood of Christ in a pregnancy, we all carry God's Holy Spirit within us. We all carry God's Holy Spirit within us. When we joyfully receive each other, we can have the experience of God's love leaping within us. I want to read this intention, and I hope you would make a commitment to this intention uh, with me as I read this. Today, I will anticipate in Christmas by welcoming each person with the heart of Mary and Elizabeth. Maybe you would say that with me. I will anticipate Christmas. I will anticipate Christmas by welcoming each other with the heart of Mary and Elizabeth. As the band continues to play, I invite you to make that intention uh, real in your heart. And I invite you to light an Advent candle to mark that intention and really that prayer today. And there's candles up front here. And uh, today we have lighters next to each one of these candles. And as the band plays, you can come forward and light a candle and light a flame as a symbol of your intention today to become a welcoming presence for others this week of Christmas. As the band plays, I invite you to come. I'll light the Advent candle over there and you light one of these right now. Come. move into the 12 days of Christmas. So we have Christmas Eve services coming up this week. I want to encourage you to be a part of those and Christmas serve, all that good stuff. Uh, These next couple of days can be really crazy and frantic, and I just want to encourage you to breathe a little bit, to give grace to yourselves, give grace to one another in your homes, give grace to your neighbors. We really don't know what's going on in people's lives around us. Sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our spouse's lives or our children's lives. So be that welcoming presence that our intention says. I want to give you a blessing for today. 
if you would just uh, lift up your arms and receive it for this week into your heart, into your soul. As you enter into the final week before the Christmas celebration, may God bless you with a quiet moment or two where you can ponder in your heart, what does it mean to claim that Jesus was born of a virgin? And may God bless us with eyes to see where Jesus still needs to be exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords, not only in our individual lives, but also in our churches, our neighborhoods, and our world at large. And may we all understand that the story of divine conception is not one of the mother's biology, but a story of the child's destiny, that his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And when you come to understand the destiny of Jesus, may you find the courage to commit your life to him and his path of peace on earth. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you on Christmas Eve.